When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with FEDS or Vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in this podcast are those of the individuals involved, and the information presented does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Any opinions that I express in this podcast are my own and not of my employer. Welcome back to another episode of Staying Connected. This interview is part two of a two-part interview with Chris Schelling, CEO and founder of Acer Therapeutics, and Dr. Adrian Cortell, Chief Medical Officer of Acer. In this episode, part two, we will hear from Adrian with details about enrollment, eligibility, and the design of the DISCOVER trial. This two-part episode is not sponsored in whole or in part by Acer. Thank you, Chris and Adrian, for coming on the podcast to talk to us about this trial. Listen in at the end of the show for some info about community events coming up. And before we go over to the interview, if you want to support the show, consider joining my Patreon. For a few dollars a month, you can make sure the show continues to reach people around the world with real-life stories about VEDS. You can join the Patreon at the link in the episode show notes, and you can also support the show by sharing this podcast with people you know to help us raise awareness of VEDS around the world. Thank you so much for your support, and a huge thanks to my current patrons who have already been supporting the show. My top-tier patrons are listed in the episode show notes. Yeah, thank you, Katie, and thank you for having us. Uh, I'm Adrian Cortel. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at uh, Acer Therapeutics. As the Chief Medical Officer of Acer Therapeutics um, and, you know, the person really able to answer all these questions about trial design and things that I have, um, what is the design of this trial? Like how, you know, Chris, Chris talked about this being a very special design. It, it definitely is. I think we need to go back where, where Chris left off. And that is, you know, the FDA basically telling us you should run a, a trial. The data that comes out of the BBES study is promising. It doesn't meet the minimum criteria for the FDA to approve, but it definitely showed uh, a direction of benefit that, that needed to be proven. Uh, as Chris said, you, normally you need to run two well-controlled, well-designed clinical trials to get an approval, and that both show uh, you know, statistically significant benefit, uh, as well as um, a, a good safety profile. So they look at the benefit-risk profile of, of, of the, the, the drug. Uh, so not only statistically significant in, in its outcome, but also clinically meaningful, meaning that what you see actually has an impact on a patient. Uh, you, you could run a trial where you show, uh, you know, a time to an event differ by one week between the two groups and make it statistically significant 
but that is not clinically meaningful. What you're really looking for in VET specifically is you want to postpone the time to the first event by months, if not years. And, and that is really what you're looking for. And the BVS study could not prove that. So as part of the agreement that we had with the FDA is something called a special protocol assessment or a SPA agreement, where the FDA will help you design the trial in the, in the most optimal way. Uh, we did that obviously with uh, with consultants in, in the VET community. So Dr. Braverman and Dr. Franco Bano helped us tremendously, as well as quite a variety of other doctors uh, who provided us with advice. So together we designed the trial to make sure that the minimum amount of patients will be on placebo. As you can imagine, you wouldn't want to be on the active drug. So there's what's called a two-to-one randomization. So for every two patients on soliparol, there's one patient on, on placebo. Um, we're going to enroll 150 patients. So 150 patients will start on treatment. We're going to assume roughly a 10% a dropout during the trial. There's always reasons why patients will drop out uh, out of a trial. So that is, that is being calculated as well. And then we're basically looking at two things, time to first event and the number of events per group. Um, we have agreed with the FDA to do two things. First of all, we have agreed that they will help us write the protocol, which they did. And then the second agreement is, is that normally you, you choose a specific endpoint. You say, okay, at this time point or when we um, have a set amount of events, we do an analysis. In our case, since this is an event-driven study, we're looking at time to first event. We need to count the events. We have an agreement with the FDA that at 46 events, we would stop the trial look at the data and make an assessment whether or not this is uh, this, this drug works. If you would do additional analysis during the trial, you actually get um, uh, a penalty and it's called a statistical penalty. It makes it harder for you to do the assessment. As part of the agreement, we, we are allowed to do an interim analysis at 28 events without paying that additional penalty uh, on the statistical analysis. So two things that are very important. <clears throat> we have an agreement to look at 46 events. And if you look at the BBEST data, that will happen probably around three and a half years. So after three and a half years, after the last patient is enrolled, we should have the data ready. The interim analysis, 28 events, will probably happen somewhere between 18 and 24 months after the last patient is enrolled. So there is a likelihood that we will see a, a statistically uh, <clears throat> statistical difference, but more importantly, a clinical meaningful difference between the two groups. And then we can have a discussion with the FDA if that is sufficient. So there's a likelihood that we actually could stop the trial and file for an approval with the FDA roughly about a year and a half to two years after we have the approval. And if that doesn't work for whatever reason, we still have the possibility of filing uh, for approval three and a half years after the last patient is enrolled. The last part of the, uh, of the agreement that we have with the FDA is how do you run a trial like this? And the FDA suggested that we would run this in a, in a decentralized way. And it's actually very timely that we have this meeting. The FDA this week actually came out with guidance in how to run decentralized trials and the benefit of running a decentralized trial. As you can imagine, if you are part of a clinical trial where you need to go to the clinic every month to do follow-up and, and assessments, you get a lot more optimal care than you would get in a normal setting. If you run a decentralized trial and basically 
provide the patient with care, but not showing them, uh, having them show up at the hospital every time. We just send out a home health nurse or have a phone call with them just to make sure that things are going okay. That is much closer to what happens in the real world. <clears throat> and in that sense, we're running a decentralized trial. The way the setup is, is that we have one site, there's a company called Science37, who has extensive experience in running decentralized trials. Uh, they have a principal investigator, like you see with every trial. Uh, Dr. Sheila Woodhouse is a, a vascular surgeon with experience in vascularis Danlos. Uh, and they run the trial. And in the, the way that they recruit patients is, is the patients signs themselves on to the trial, and then they get the same medical care that you would expect from any clinical trial. So they get, re they get screened, they need to go through a whole bunch of uh, assessments, um, we request for the medical records, and that's how patients are enrolled. So those are the, really the main differences between how we run the trial and how other trials have been run. There's always the BBEST trial, and there's some other small little trials that have been run. So it is very similar <clears throat> in regards to uh, what we're trying to achieve uh, compared to what was done in, in the other trials that were run, such as the BBEST uh, trial or the, the cohort study that was done in, in Stockholm. Yeah, so this trial, so I'm going to summarize, I think, what I heard because there's a lot of really good information in there that you shared. And I think a good deal of this is also available on discoversaliprolol.com too, right? Correct. Okay, so if anybody wants to, if, if you are a, you know, if you learn best by reading, that a good deal of this information is there as well on discoversaliprolol.com. Um, so there are 150, your goal is to enroll 150 patients in this clinical trial with a confirmed diagnosis of vascular EDS via a COL3A1 mutation. And, right. okay, and 100 of those patients, you know, two thirds will be on randomized to drug and 50 will be randomized to a placebo, which is basically a, a pill that doesn't have anything in it. Correct. Okay. And then in order to meet the FDA's criteria for, um, de like for determining the stop point of the trial at, at the time that, uh, that those 150 patients who are enrolled in the trial cumulative, cumulatively have 46 events among them, that is the true stopping point of the trial, but at 28 events in, so let's say 150 people have 28 events, you're allowed to kind of peek at the data and look at how, how statistically significant that is and whether or not it's beneficial. Correct, well, there's two things to it. So we are obviously confident and, and, and sure that, you know, Soliprol works, so you don't want to uh, expose patients to placebo, if it's clear that all the 28 events, for example, occur in the placebo group, then it would be futile to study. For reality, and the way the FDA looks at it, it could be the other way around, and then you certainly don't want to continue to study either way. But then obviously the likelihood of that happening is extremely small. Um, it is basically making sure, that almost the same reasons why the, the BBEST study stopped early, they saw overwhelming effect in, in the trial, and they felt it was unethical to expose patients to placebo. We would like to do the same. If it is clear that Soliprol has an overwhelming effect on patients and that the time to event and the number of events is really significantly and clinically meaningful lower in the Soliprol group, it would be unethical to, to expose patients to placebo. Yeah, absolutely.
So I think uh, we should also talk about kind of dive in further to the eligibility of who can be in the trial. You know, we mentioned a genetically confirmed diagnosis of VEDS with COL3A1 pathogenic mutation, yeah, it, but it, who else? So the trial, the trial tries to be as inclusive as, as possible. Uh, so there's an age criteria, so 15 years and older. Um, you know, there's very few patients actually that, that have a vascular or uh, hollow organ event that is vets related before the age of 15. So it would make sense not to include those patients. Um, you have to have a cold 301 uh, di uh, positive uh, genetic test. And we actually we will repeat the test. Uh, even if you have had the test in your hospital and you're sure you, you have it, we do repeat it. We just for, you know, this is an FDA regulated study. So we need to make sure that we have all the data that we have. So we use our own lab to do the test. Um, and surprisingly, so we, we've done, so the study is up and running and we've tested lots of patients. We actually had two patients who thought they had a cold 3 a one positive result and it came back as uh, as not positive. And we actually informed their uh, treating physician on the fact. And it turned out to be a slightly different mutation, uh, still a mutation that would cause vascular events, but it's not uh, the same as a cold 3 a one positive uh, test. So we redo that test. Then the last part is you obviously need to sign consent, so agreeing to all the study procedures. And one of the study procedures is that if you are on a beta blocker at the moment, you need to stop using the beta blocker. So you need to go back to your treating physician and come up with a cessation protocol to stop the beta blocker, so wean off the beta blocker. In general terms, there are very few patients that are using a beta blocker for other reasons than VETS. So if you are on a beta blocker specifically to treat your VETS, that is fairly straightforward. However, if you're on a beta blocker for another reason than VETS, and there are certain reasons why, why that could be, you need to speak to your physician and, and may have a discussion whether that is really the right thing for you to do, because you might end up on a placebo. And as Chris said, Soliprol is a great drug when it comes to treating vets. It is really not a good drug for, for treating uh, hypertension or congestive heart failure or things like that. So uh, those are really the main criteria. There are a couple of other exclusion criteria that are specific for the use of beta blocker. Um, you, know, you don't want to have a reactive COPD. Um, you don't want to have your know, specific arrhythmias or other very specific cardiovascular events that we will discuss, obviously, uh, with your treating physician. And you know, we will request all your medical records so we can see in your medical records whether or not you would be contraindicated in using that. Okay, thank you for, for um, diving into that. And, you know, when, you know, we've talked about this before, but for those who have not heard that webinar that uh, the VEDS movement did back in March, um, there is you know, you talk about getting off of a beta blocker, but there are other cardiac medications that you can be on and still be in this trial, correct? Yes, so what we find is that actually uh, it's less than half of the patients that, that we are screening are on beta blockers. Um, some of them are osiloprolol. Some of them are, I think the two most often used drugs outside osiloprolol for the treatment of that specifically, uh, so the beta blockers are metriprolol and cardivolol. Um, you just need to, to hold them. If you are normal tensive, meaning you have a normal blood pressure and you don't have tachycardia, meaning a high heart rate, as reasons for the treatment of, um, of your, of, 
the reason why you're on a beta blocker, halting the beta blocker is actually fairly straightforward. Um, you want to do that slowly. You don't want what is known as a reactive hypertension, meaning that we take the beta blocker away and the body starts thinking, oh, something is wrong. I'm going to increase my blood pressure. And that's something you don't want. Or a reactive tachycardia. You also don't want that. You don't want your heart rate to go up. So you build down your beta blocker slowly. So you will have a cessation protocol or a weaning protocol. And it usually takes anywhere between four to eight weeks to actually go through that whole protocol. But once you're off, and the reason for being on the drug is not because of hypertension or another cardiovascular disease. You're back to baseline as you normally would be. And, and it's fairly straightforward. So once you're off, then we can start you building up the soliprolol or placebo. And you don't get the high dose all of a sudden. We slowly build that up as well as you would normally do uh, when you start on. If you're not on a beta blocker, but an other cardiovascular drug, such as uh, to converting enzyme or calcium inhibitor. Quite a few patients actually on losartan, that, that's a drug that has shown um, some benefit in vets. That is not a problem. It's specifically the beta blocker. And the reason for that is that you cannot be on two beta blockers at the same time. Uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't be you know, sensible. So. Thank you. And um, so if somebody wanted to be on like part of this trial, but they had a lot of anxiety about being on a placebo, Theoretically, you know, they could talk to their doctor about getting off of their beta blocker, but then switch to an ARB as they're enrolling in this trial and still be a part of this research study. Absolutely. Yes, they, that, that, that would be a lot. Okay. And this is a U.S. only study. And do you want to talk a little bit more about the decentralization of it? I mean, we Chris mentioned it earlier. Um, I think you mentioned a little bit, but... You know, for people who are really wondering how how does this work? Okay, well, the first thing is this is a U.S. study only. That is indeed so. So the requirement is that you do reside in the United States to participate in the study. The decentralized setup is, is that, as I said, we had we have a company called Science Thirty Seven, who engages with a few other uh, small companies that help us out running the trial, uh, and then obviously Acer it, uh, itself is very involved in running the trial. Once a patient has decided that they are interested in participating in the trial, and that can happen in two ways. They just heard about the trial, like listening to this podcast, um, and and they find their way to the Discover Sliprol website, which is our uh, basically recruitment website. You can enroll yourself, and that you just fill in your details, and a um, study specialist will contact you. And so we have a principal investigator who is a, a, a vascular surgeon, and they'll have research nurses. They will talk you through how you get enrolled in the trial. I'm happy to talk about that in more detail in a little bit. The other way you can find out is that we are doing a, a broad outreach program to vascular surgeons, to cardiologists, and geneticists to talk to the patients that they think would be um, you know, are eligible for this trial and would benefit from participating in this trial. So once you have that discussion with your physician, or the physician has that discussion with you, um, you will be guided to that same website. It's 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 basically the enrollment website where you go onto it. That is, uh, as I said, discover Sliprol. Once you put in your details there, you will get contacted by a study nurse. We will talk you through what it means to be part of the study, and they will talk to you what the next steps are to get through, um, you know, the enrollment and, and entering the trial. 
So the first step is that you know, we inform you about everything there is. We'll have a short interview to make sure that you are eligible. Each criteria, the, the additional drug criteria, etc. Once that is being uh, agreed on, we then ask that you uh, sign a release letter, which means you basically sign a letter that allows us to request your medical records from your treating physician. We then request those medical records. We look at those medical records, discuss that with you to make sure that you know this trial is really good for you because we are very interested in making sure that you know the, the safety of the patient is, is paramount and that this is the right trial for you. Once we have all that information, there's two more things that need to be done. The first thing is we will request an, uh, an MRA, so an angiogram done by magnetic resonance or CTA or CT scan. We will pay for that. We will schedule that for you um, at a site as close as possible uh, to where you live. That, that will be done. That is not an inclusion criteria. And so it does not mean that we look at that scan and based on that scan, you can participate in the study or not. It is just that once you are in the trial and something happens, some vets related event happens, we actually have a baseline um, image of, of what was going on. So the people that need to look at those events, part of, of the assessment of the trial, have the appropriate data. In it. So you need to have that, that, that done before you um, enroll the trial. And then the last part is, if you're on a beta blocker, you need to wean off the beta blocker before you can enroll the trial. So these are the three main things to do in the trial. Sign the, you know, uh, sign the, the form for us to get your medical records, get an MRA or a CTA, and then we have your battle block. When all that is done, you actually enroll in the trial and get dosed. Well, how does that work? Well, you are basically just at home. You don't have to come to the hospital. We actually come to you. One thing I forget, forgot, we do the genetic test. Uh, a study nurse comes to your house, collects blood, tells you what to do, explains all the procedures of the study, including you, you'll get a little tablet, iPad, that allows you to, to connect with the site whenever you need to. Um, the study nurse will visit you on a monthly basis for the first couple of months, and then an agreement is made whether or not you want to continue that monthly visit, or would you prefer to have it uh, as a teleconference? And most patients, after three months, are like, no, 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 I'm fine. Well, one phone call will do. It will be shipped to your house. Adrian cut out there briefly. He said the drug will be shipped to your house. Once you receive the drug, the study nurse will come and show you how to do the drug. It takes a good three months to get to the dose that you are required to take. We do that under blood pressure measurement. So we will measure the blood pressure on a monthly basis and also provide you with the equipment to do your own blood pressure measurements. We will start dosing at the low dose, medium dose, high dose, and then the final dose. So it takes a good three months to get through that. And once you're on the, on the optimal dose for you, you just continue in the study, and that's it. Um, we are counting the number of events, so it is just your normal day-to-day, -day, whatever it is you do. And you um, continue to see your normal doctor and... Yeah, okay. it is. It is to just go to your normal doctor if an event happens, and we will be informed uh, of the event happening. And once an event happens, I'll give an example. You have a renal artery dissection. You will end up in the hospital, obviously, because you need stenting and you probably need a blood transfusion and you need to be looked at very carefully. You can actually stop the drug at that point if you want. Uh, th that is really up to the treating physician. 
um, and we put on a beta blocker if 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 he feels that that you know, she feels that is uh, important to do. Um, an adjudication committee, this is a group of three physicians, will look at the event and decide whether this qualifies as an event that the FDA considers a VETS event. Once that is that, that assessment has been made and it's been decided that it is a qualifying event, you have the option to go into an open label extension study, meaning you will get silicone, period, and you follow on, or you can decide to, to leave the study and, and you know, uh, be cared for by your by a regular physician. That is that is totally up to the patient. Okay, thank you so much for for explaining that. I do have a couple questions. I know that this is a long interview, but I really appreciate your time here with us, and I think that this information is so important for our community for sure. Um, one question I have is, you know, in VEDS, you know, we talk about events and. There are a lot, obviously, of arterial events like arterial dissections and aortic dissections and artery ruptures and things. Um, but a good number of people in our community also have hollow organ ruptures or bowel perforations, colon perforations, um, lung collapses. You know, when you describe you know an event for this study, does it only include the arterial events, or does it include any kind of event related to Beds. That's kind of emergent. In it's nature. a very good and very important question. So obviously, the most the, the, the most of the events will be cardiovascular events, vascular events, but we do include uh, hollow organ ruptures as well, specifically muscular hollow organs. So intestinal and uterine uh, ruptures do count as qualifying events. Thank you for that clarification. And I think a good number of people in our community are going to be wondering if they have a null mutation, if they can participate in this study? No, uh, they cannot. Uh, although uh, null mutations do increase slightly the, uh, the chances of having an event, the, the, the chances are pretty small. You talked earlier about the, the BBAS study and the, the Kaplan-Meier curve, the curve that shows the differentiation between the groups, that actually the group that has the lowest chance of an event would a null mutation uh, group. Uh, so no mutations, uh, you, know, you basically have one gene that does not make any protein, which means that you still have a good a gene that makes the, the correct collagen 3. It makes it in lower in a lower volume, but you basically do not have the mutated collagen 3 uh, fibers floating around. So in that case, uh, there is no absolute evidence to suggest that silicone would work there. That's one. Two, it makes it very hard for us to study. We obviously would want to get the, the, the drug approved as quickly as possible. So the patients that have the biggest benefit of silicone are the patients that we would, to, would like to include. So therefore, no mutations or as it's known, haploinsufficiency patients are not included. And so if... If this drug, so that's not to say for one that people with null mutations don't have VEDS. We obviously know that's not true at all. I think what right. you're saying is that the rate of events is lower. And so if we were going to, if you were going to include them into a study like this, um, the study might have to be much longer, which would draw out the amount of time that people at a higher rate of events are on potentially a placebo or make it just more expensive to study because of the length of the time of the study, like all these factors come in. So if you know this drug 
is shown to have a benefit. Let's say four years down the road, you know, you've reached 46 events. It's very clear um, and totally hypothetical, right? But if that is the case and this drug is approved in the United States, would you run a follow-up study for those with null mutations to see how uh, ciliprolol works in that group of people? That is a really, really good question. And that has to do with how the FDA assesses orphan drugs, so drugs for very rare diseases. We would obviously go for an approval for vets in its broader setup, so all patients that have a diagnosis for vets. In general terms, the FDA will allow that. We don't know that for sure, but but you know, there's there's plenty of other drugs that did that. And what the FDA then would request is that we would follow up a cohort of patients that have uh, no mutation as vets for say five to 10 years, and then you know, go back to the FDA and say, listen, we, we did this and we clearly show a benefit. They would very unlikely require us to run a different study for that specific population. So the idea is that once this study is over, we will get a approval for all patients that have a called 301 positive vets um, disease, regardless of their specific mutation or regardless if they're uh, no patients. And then how does that then apply for children under 15 who are not a part of this study? Well, so that is that is a bit more complex because the question is, you know, as I said, it's extremely unlikely for someone under the age of 15 to have a, a VETS event. It, it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's rare. So um, the question really is, if you start earlier, would you prevent an event happening later down the and that probably will require additional study. But again, this is all up to, to discussions with the FDA. In general terms, if you go into pediatric indication, uh, the FDA usually does require you to test it because there's obviously some, some additional risks that need to be assessed. Um, so that is something that we will discuss with the FDA. My guess is at this point, knowing you know, how this work with other drugs, they would probably require us to run a small study to ensure that it is safe in that specific population. Okay. Yeah, I know that the parents in our community, I think it really means a lot to them to, you know, if there's a drug that is, you know, shown to help adults and vets, I think it's super important to figure out, does that help the kids? Because as you mentioned, you know, it's not, it's not a 0% of people with vets under 15. Uh, we've lost some kids in our community and it's been pretty devastating. So um, yeah, that would be a very important thing to uh, parse out. I have one final question for you, I think. When we're talking about, you know, who can participate, a couple of times it's come up that you offer this genetic test. And I know that a lot of people, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast um, don't have genetic testing to confirm VEDS yet. And they really, really want to be genetically tested. And there is this delay in genetic testing. There's a huge barrier in some communities, there's um, barriers to testing and wait times, depending on where you live, depending on, you know, what population you're in in the United States, whether you live in a rural area or a city, there's all of these things that make it difficult to access that genetic testing. But for this trial, you are offering a genetic test basically to confirm a diagnosis. So if somebody's listening to this and needs that genetic testing and they're not, you know, they don't have a VEDS diagnosis yet, can they 
um, enroll in this study in order to get the genetic test and then make a decision on whether or not they want to pursue the trial? Yes, they can. Um, the, the genetic test is, so there's a sequence of, of what we do when a patient goes in. So the first thing is your eligibility interview, making sure that they have signs and symptoms or their family history of vets. Um, then we request the medical records and then we'll do the genetic tests. So we will make sure that you know, there's a logical reason why you would want that. Uh, we can't prohibit or, or stop you from doing it. You know, we encourage you to, to participate in the trial, obviously. Um, we did a bit of research. We've screened over 100 patients so far, and I'd say probably you know, less than 5%. Um, you know, we kind of know that they did this for the genetic test, and that is, that is fine if they want to do that. Okay. Well, thank there's, you. there's no rule against that, right? You, you can. The, the nice thing about a clinical trial is, even once you sign consent and you started, you can stop at any point, right? It is really you're you're totally free to hold the trial whenever you feel, and you don't even have to have a good reason. So if if that's what you want to do, then then that is fine. Thank you. And I, I think, of course, you know, we want to make sure that this trial is successful. Like I, for. I would like to make sure this trial is successful because we really need an answer to this question. So I think the more people who um, enroll or you know consider enrolling, determine if it's right for you. Like it's it's a very personal decision to be in a clinical trial, and it's okay if you decide not to. I think importantly though, like this is the this is the first clinical trial in the United States for VADs that is like randomized, placebo controlled, it's for a medication used somewhere else. Like, I think it's really important to get an answer for this question and it's a burning question in a lot of our minds. So I really appreciate both of you coming on to, you know, talk about the clinical trial and provide this information to people in the community. Uh, do you have any final, like both of you, any final thoughts that you wanna share about about the trial or about ACER or anything? Well, I'll, I'll leave the final, final word to Chris. I, that's, I think two things that I think is important. First of all, um, you know, we are really interested in, in, in getting this drug approved. I think we're more interested even in making sure that we have the, a correct scientific answer to the question that a lot of physicians are asking. So we're obviously talking to a lot of treating physicians and they all are aware of the BMS study and they all understand that, you know, the right decision was made in France for this, but it, it did lack the, the level of evidence that makes everybody comfortable in believing that silicone works. So we really think it's important for this trial to, 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 to run its course and for patients to participate to really answer this really important question. Um, lastly, if anyone has any questions, uh, you can go to the ASA website. Uh, there's a tab called medical information. I actually see most of those emails myself. If you have any questions, any anything additional that you would like to know, you can't find the answer to either at the Vets Movement website or anywhere else, please don't hesitate to contact us. We'd be happy to talk to you and provide you with the appropriate information for you to make the right decision, whether you are eligible for the trial and whether the trial is something that you should participate in. And uh, lastly, Katie, thank you very much for the time that you, you provided us to talk about the trial. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, any last? Yeah, I just, uh, I, I echo uh, Adrian's sentiment. I would certainly appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and chat with you about this. You know, I want to let everyone know that, you know, Acer is really committed to developing drugs for rare diseases. And this isn't a straight line, right? It's not that what we do isn't easy. Um, I know that there's been some frustration in the VEDS community. 
that this has taken a long time or that it doesn't seem like it's a straightforward process and whatnot. And um, it, it really is a complex process to get drugs approved, let alone drugs for you know extremely rare diseases. And so in that regard, we really appreciate the community hanging with us. We're committed to the vets community 100% you know, and, and in doing the right thing. And so for us, um, you know, like I said, we really appreciate everybody's um, ongoing support. Um, and certainly the faster we can enroll this trial, the faster that we can get an answer, um, whether this drug has benefit in the population and uh, hopefully get a drug, you know, the first drug approved by the FDA for the vets community. So, you know, that's our goal. Thank you so much. I will uh, put a link to discoverceliberallaw.com in the show notes too. So if anybody needs the quick access to that and they're like, how the heck do you spell celebralaw? Um, it's very easy to find. So I will put that in the show notes. I really, really appreciate you both coming on to talk to me today and to talk to the community about this trial. Great. Thanks again, Katie. Thanks. Thank you for listening to part two of this two-part episode featuring Acer Therapeutics and the Discover Trial. And thank you, Chris and Adrian, for being a part of this episode. If you are looking for ways to get involved, there are quite a few events you can participate in in the next few weeks to raise awareness of VEDS, meet others, and learn more from the experts. First, Reds for VEDS Day is less than one week away on May 19th. This is an international event where we all wear red to raise awareness of VEDS around the world. Be sure to wear red on May 19th and share a picture on social media using the hashtag RedsForVeds. Also, the Marfan Foundation is hosting in-person walks for victory around the United States. These are fundraisers and an opportunity to connect with others in the community. In May and June, join community members at these events in Aptos, California, Seattle, Washington, New York City, New York, Boston, New England, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Chicago, Illinois, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've created a Team VEDS for the Seattle Walk for Victory, and I hope to meet those of you in the Pacific Northwest at this event. And coming up right around the corner is the Foundation's Conference, held this year in Chicago, July 13th to 16th. The Ehlers-Danlos Society will be hosting a VEDS camp in partnership with the VEDS Movement, a division of the Marfan Foundation, the weekend prior to the Foundation Conference at Camp Joy, Ohio. This is July 7th to 9th. Links to more information about these events can be found in the episode show notes. On the next episode of Staying Connected on May 20th, we are going to hear from Maria Vowles and Mandy Carpenter, founders of Adventures in Love for Andy, who lost their daughter Andy to VEDS and have since gotten very involved in our community. Don't forget to subscribe to Staying Connected on your podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like this show, I do hope you will consider sharing it with your friends on social media and help us raise awareness of VEDS together. You can also support the production of this podcast by joining my Patreon. The link is in the episode show notes. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.